from the India missions. I don't understand the things that happened on the trip that we just returned from. I don't understand what happened to me over the last two years of going to India. I don't understand the things that have happened over the last dozen or so years as members of this congregation have gone to India. I don't even understand what's the amazing things that have happened at Bay Area Church of Christ over the last 15 years that I've been here. And that's exactly the point. I have no way of understanding those things. Amazing things, things that seemed impossible, but they've happened over and over. So this morning I want to do three things. I want to talk a little bit about the trip and remind you that during the Sunday school hour, there will be a music video about the trip and uh, a lot of pictures and a panel discussion about, uh, about what went on. But I'm going to give you an overview. I also want to share a lesson that seems appropriate given the things that happened on this trip and that have been happening. And I want to mention a few things that Bay Area Church of Christ that you can do um, to participate in the, in the impossible things that God is accomplishing. So first of all, I want to thank Bay Area Church of Christ on behalf of the Christians in northern India, in the area around Balaspur, for what you have done, for the love and the prayers and the support and the hard work over many months and years to make things happen, to spread the gospel in northern India. You have done that. I'm not thanking you for me, I'm thanking you for them, because they're the ones that have been blessed by it. And we felt the gratitude and we heard the gratitude from the people there while we were in India. And so I want to tell you how grateful they are for what you have done. You may not know everything or, uh, that you've done, but, um, but uh, a lot of you know a lot of it, and, um, and, and so I want to thank you for that. Something else you may not know is that Eric and Beulah McHale worked in southern India a long time ago. I'm not sure how many years, but a long time ago. Now, southern India is the Bible Belt, of India. There are many missionaries and many Christians in southern India. When they were there, they were told that there was really no harvest available in northern India. Uh, but in Bible class today, this morning, you will see pictures of the crowds that came and the people being baptized. And I think you'll realize that what a lot of people thought was impossible is happening there. And you'll know that because of your faith put into action, uh, North India is being blessed with a harvest. So we felt your prayers throughout the trip. Uh, I can't really describe what that feeling is, but it's a good feeling. When you know you're being prayed for, and I know that you know 
what that feels like. We did have some challenges, but everything somehow worked out. Sarika, who's the wife of Beulah's brother, Jonah, when we got there, was very near death. She looked like um, a malnourished person who was about to die. And um, she was nursed back to life while we were there, and she's still recovering. Um, we had our first driver that we used to get around to the villages. Um, one day turned out to be under the influence, and uh, we had no driver. We had to fire him and, and get another driver, um, but one just appeared, and he was wonderful, and he's probably going to be part of the ministry in the future. Um, we went to purchase a vehicle for the ministry, and we had some challenges with the dealership, um, but those things worked out, and they worked out beautifully. But on the entire trip, which is an amazing thing, it's just an amazing thing to take a trip like that, and we're all very grateful for it, but we, were, we felt like we were being carried along in God's hand the entire time. The money you sent to build a roof on Peter's house, which is where the people were worshiping, in the rooms of Peter's house, kind of just the way it might be if you filled your house with people and there were people down the hall and people in the kitchen and so on. But we, we, we sought to build a roof on Peter's house and you sent the money. I went and I was prepared to see two by fours holding up sheets of tin on the roof above his house. But no, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's well built. It has concrete stairs going up from the outside. It's bright. It has ceiling fans. It has plenty of space to bring people in. And now there is another new roof on the third floor and a new baptistry where people can be baptized and were baptized while we were there. So thank you for making that happen. There are now uh, five villages where there are house churches meeting in the area around Philosopher. And the names of those villages I'm going to call out. Pomgur, Morpar, Pakmani, Railha, and Mohar. In those villages, there are house churches meeting. There are places that we could go and find people gathered. But there are 18 villages in that area surrounding Palmgar that are feeding people to those house churches. This has happened because of the continuous efforts of you and of Peter and of the young preachers that he works with. The money you spent to buy a vehicle for evangelism in the villages was also well spent. We actually purchased the vehicle while we were there. Eric carried around over $15,000 in a backpack on his belly uh, during the travel in U.S. dollars on the way over and then rupees uh, after we exchanged when we got there in order to make that happen. And so we were all standing around, because of the danger of 
being robbed. We were standing around trying to be nonchalant and all of that. And it was, um, so that was interesting. But we negotiated as hard as we know how. We purchased a new, a new Mahindra SUV, which is now being used four days a week to reach out to the villages. So thank you for your faith expressed in sacrifices to make that happen. The plan for the future is to continue to reach out to the area around Belasper to strengthen the Belasper church as a base and reach those 18 villages, train those preachers, and keep spreading the gospel. That's the uh, plan for the mission. So most of all, I want to express gratefulness for that. And if you can put up the... Um, I'll show you some pictures of the, uh, the new worship hall and the, and the vehicle. Um, this is a shot of Peter's house from the very rough dirt road outside. Um, it now has essentially three floors, um, two ceilings, and, um, and you walk in at the bottom there. Uh, um, yeah, you walk in at the bottom and go up, up the stairs. It doesn't look very big, but this is the, um, the door that was decorated for the inauguration of this facility. And there's a sign behind that. Um, and it says, Riverside Church of Christ, established on December 21st, 2008. Uh, and it gives the address. And it says, Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, 18. This worship hall is dedicated to Bay Area Church of Christ, USA. It's a marble plaque. So they, uh, they uh, appreciated being able to do this. And there's the sign again. This is a picture of the hall. It may not look too impressive compared to this hall, this worship hall, and that's Peter standing in front of it. It's bigger than it looks there. Um, I love those ceiling fans and the bright lights. And they allowed me to cut the ribbon to open the door. And I called it a house of light uh, because it's so bright in, it, in there. Compared to the other places that we've gone and, and taught and preached, it's really quite beautiful. Um, these are the fellows that... Uh, cooked the food to feed the celebration that took place after we began, uh, after we you know, cut the ribbon on Sunday morning. And this is the set of stairs leading up to the worship hall. And that's kind of a storage area beside the stairs. <laughs> that's what it looks like outside. This is what... Uh, that room looks like when it's full of people. And um, that is very exciting. Um, this shows when we were uh, having a meal together after the service. And we had to eat in shifts. And um, this is what it looks like. You've seen this before. Now I just want to briefly show you what the new vehicle looks like. 
actually in action. This is uh, out in Pomgar, and uh, that's pretty much right off the lot with a ribbon on the front. And uh, it, it's hard to turn around in Pomgar because the roads are so narrow. That's the back of the vehicle. For some reason, it has a sold sticker on the back. I think that's because, I think that's the temporary license plate. And uh, our new driver um, went to the trouble of washing off the vehicle <laughs> on his own initiative uh, one day, one morning. Okay, well, go ahead and turn that off because we're going to save the rest of the pictures for uh, the Sunday school hour. <clears throat> In the book of Genesis, the Lord told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have many descendants, that his descendants would occupy Canaan. And Abraham looked around for ways to make that happen, to have a child by Sarah, to get Eliezer to be his heir, Sarah had the idea of using Hagar to get children, as you know. But the Lord had different things in mind. He appeared to Abraham in the form of three visitors. And one of them said to Sarah, in about a year, you're going to have a son. Actually, he said Sarah's going to have a son in about a year. And Sarah laughed. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 18? <clears throat> so, it says in verse 13 of chapter 18 of Genesis, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. In verse 14 where it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? In the Hebrew it says, is anything Pala for the Lord. The word pala means impossible, marvelous, amazing, miraculous, extraordinary. Is anything too pala for the Lord? It wasn't. Now take a look at Exodus chapter 14. if you would. In verse 29, an amazing thing had happened. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. 
And in chapter 15, we read the song of praise with which they exalted the Lord after this great miracle of deliverance. Imagine how important it was for them to remember this miracle that was done for the nation, for their children, for their descendants. Chapter 15, verse 4, they sang, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working Allah, the impossible? Turn with me to Judges chapter 13. The Israelites were under the thumb of the Philistines for 40 long years. An angel appeared to the wife of a man named Manoah and told her that even though she had been barren, she was going to have a son. And she told Manoah about this, which I think was a good thing. And Manoah said, We've got to find out how we're supposed to raise this young child. And so Manoah prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered. And in verse 15 of chapter 13 of Judges, it says, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is Palah. It is impossible. It is amazing. It is extraordinary. This is what the angel that represented the Lord called himself. The Psalms are sprinkled with praise for God using the word palah, talking about the impossible things that God has done. 
Psalm 78 is one of those places. If you could turn with me to that. Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the palah he has done. In Jeremiah, chapter 32, if you could turn there, it was a time of great distress for the Jews. They were being conquered by the Babylonians because of their disobedient behavior. But God wanted them to know that he was going to rescue them. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah prays to the Lord, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is palah for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Jeremiah had faith that God was indeed going to rescue his nation, which seemed impossible to believe. And the Lord spoke back to him in verse 26 of Jeremiah 32. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything Allah for me? It's really, there's really nothing that's Allah for him. And in Isaiah chapter 9, And verse 6, a prophecy that you know very well. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In the Hebrew, in verse 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the word wonderful is actually the Hebrew, Allah. He is the God of the impossible. And you know what Jesus says about this. With God, all things are possible. Now how is it 
how is it that we participate in the impossible? Well, remember how many times Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. We know that our faith and our works earn us absolutely nothing. But we know that God recognizes our faith. I don't understand how this works. But when we have faith, we participate in what God is doing. And God is doing the impossible every day, in every chapter of the Bible, and in bringing about our salvation. It's truly an impossible thing. But he is doing it. So, the lesson for us is to believe that God is the God of the impossible, to put our faith in him, to know that he's doing it every day, to pray, to be bold, to expect the impossible, to have confidence in the impossible. He doesn't always work the way we expect him to or maybe want him to. But we know that he loves us and he brings about good for us and he keeps every promise that he's made. And so we can be bold and we can be confident and we can trust that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. His salvation through Christ is the greatest miracle of all, is it not? I don't think we really know what the definition of impossible is. Because for God, there is no impossibility. For us, many things are impossible. We know that in Hebrews 11.6, it says that it's impossible for us to please God without faith. But if we have faith, all things are possible. I think that's what we know. And so as we think about what God did in bringing about our salvation, he's made it very clear what we need to do to be saved. To believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who said all things are possible. To repent of sin, and to be buried with Jesus in baptism. And that's one thing we talked a lot about in India. If you want to live with Christ, you need to die with Christ. And it's right behind me in the water that we die with Christ because he does the work. He does the circumcision of our heart. He gives us his spirit. He cleanses us. He, he cleanses us with the blood of Jesus. And so, this morning, as we go forward, let's go forward in confidence. Let's seek, let's seek the impossible. Let's expect the impossible. Let's ask for the impossible. Let's let God work his plan, because he knows it better than we could possibly guess it or do it. So right now, if you 
would like to respond in any way, if you would like the prayers of the congregation, please come forward. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ, this is a good time for that as well. Uh, let's stand together as we sing. <laughs>